Welcome to this week's episode of Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm John DeGeese, joined this week by Davey Ugamois. How's, how's it going, Davey? Very good, John. How are you? I hope all is well on your side. Yeah, not too bad. Um, we've got another packed show this episode with a recap of last weekend's European Le Mans Series season opener at Paul Ricard. We'll also cover the news of the week, answer, answer a bunch of listener questions, and also take a look at some of the action of this coming weekend in the world of sports car racing. We'll start off with uh, ELMS at Paul Ricard. Um, Davey, you were covering that from, for us from afar, but it was a maiden victory for Prema in sports car racing in the team's second only LMP2 start. Lorenzo Colombo teamed with Luis Delatraz and Ferdinand Habsburg for the win. To me, it, it seems like it was a pretty straightforward run, at least in LMP2. What do you have to say? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what it was, uh, the opening round of the European Le Mans series at Paul Ricard. Um, it's On the one hand, it is a surprise. On the other hand, it isn't knowing... What we know about Prema and how uh, you know good they are in in the junior formula, but you know you have to get the first win out of the way at some point. Um, and it was pretty straightforward. Uh, the number nine car started from from third on the grid, um, behind TDS Racing and United Autosports. Then the United car pretty early on fell away with a slow first stop where they had an issue with the left front wheel, which wouldn't quite come off. So that sort of dropped them back, and then. I guess the Prima car was all sort of supposed to then move forward because the TDS car um, is a is a is a pro-am entry uh, and Timon van der Helm put in a very good stint to to start off and uh, stayed out front. But then uh, the bronze rated driver, Philip Simmerdomo, came in and the car sort of fell back. And from there on, it was pretty straightforward for Prima. Habsburg second in the car. He came up under pressure slightly from the Panis Racing number 65 car. Uh, Nico Jama really putting in a, a good stint there sort of in the middle um, but he remained out front uh, and then it was Dallatraz's turn who then had to deal with Duncan Tappy again in that United car with the early uh, sort of slow stop putting that car off sequence it was out front but it, it was always due to pit but, but uh, Dallatraz wasn't going to wait around for that pass him at seniors and from there on out uh, pretty pretty clear cut Um I do want to very quickly mention uh, Algarve Pro Racing, number 19 car. Uh, the, the only two drivers there, Sophia Flush and Ben Fiscal. Second place with a really clever bit of strategy coming in for that penultimate stop. 48 minutes left on the clock, which means they wouldn't quite make it to the end. And so the question was, was Fiscal going to fuel save? Was he not? Uh, he wasn't. Um, you could clearly see because the, the gap to Delatraz wasn't coming down. It was only getting bigger. And then they splashed him at the end and he remained out front, or uh, I should say in second place behind the, the Prima car. Held off uh, his compatriot, Job van Outed, in the Panda's car and took off uh, a pretty surprising second place there with a really clever bit of strategy from yeah, only two drivers and two silver-rated drivers at that. Yeah, impressive stuff for Algar for sure, especially with having to adapt to life after G-Drive racing. Obviously, we've covered that in recent episodes um, this was their first ELMS race of the year with the revised lineup there. Um, moving on to LMP3, Cool Racing took top honors, but it was a really crazy last lap. Yeah, it it, it didn't really look like they were going to win. They started from pole uh, in that uh, that LMP3 car, the um, the number seventeen. That was uh, Maury Smith uh, alongside Melty Jakobsen, and then the third driver in that car was uh, Michael Benham. Um, but pretty early on, it was the number 13 from Inter-Europol competition 
that Ligier GSP 320 Nissan that took over the lead thanks to Charles Cruz, bronze racer driver from the USA, taking the lead pretty early on. Actually, in the first few laps, uh, passing Smith, who, who started the race from pole. And from there on out, it pretty much looked set for Interiorpol. Lost the leader a handful of times to the number two uh, car from United Autosports, but each time they sort of held off their advances and so kept the lead. It seemed all done and dusted. And then in the vinyl, in the final stint, Malta Jakobsen, who uh, IMSA uh, uh, viewers will know, is, is a very, very quick silver-rated Danish driver who uh, also recently took an MP3 class win in a Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. So he's pretty handy behind the wheel of a, of a Ligier LMP3 car. And it showed because he closed down on the uh, inter-Europa car with Nico Pino behind the wheel at that point at an absolutely astonishing rate. And it was sort of going to be, was he going to pass him? Was he not? But in the end, on the final lap, uh, it was uh, Jakobsen who passed Pino to take that uh, victory front pole position. Um, although it wasn't exactly straightforward, uh, if you put it, if you want to put it like that. Yeah, and post-race, the inner Europol car lost second position with a tech infraction. Um, what what happened there? Uh, it's, it's something that I have to be honest, I've never sort of seen or, or heard before. It was... Uh, it came up in post-race scrutineering that the Belleville washers in the differential were not in conformity with what it should be, uh, which is something that I've personally never... I had to, to be completely honest with you, I had to Google to see what Belleville washers were because I genuinely didn't know. But yeah, that, apparently they were not uh, in conformity and so the car was disqualified completely. Uh, from the standings yeah unfortunate stuff for for that team but um, they'll be looking to rebound in the next uh, ELMS round finally in GTE we had Rinaldi Racing come out on top in a lineup that featured Memo Gidley in another close finish in the in the race yeah real feel-good story for Memo actually took pole position for the for the GTE class um, uh, on uh, on Saturday uh, and then GTE, very close battle, but the car sort of came up in the second hour, uh, came back up after it was passed by the Iron Dames, that very, very bright pink Ferrari, uh, driven by Sarah Bovi. That took the lead in the first hour. Then after a round of stops on the stops on the caution, it took the lead again and then sort of stayed there until the uh, other car from uh, Iron Lynx, it's a uh, number uh, 60 car with uh, David e. Regan behind the wheel at that point, was out front, you know, if you've got David Regan behind the wheel, usually that would be things pretty done and dusted. But then very, very late, I think probably in, in the last 10 minutes or something, uh, it came in uh, and it had to do a driver change. But Matteo Crassoni back into the car, which was being explained as driver times uh, that apparently if Regan had stayed in the car, Crassoni wouldn't have completed his mandatory time. And so it was back to the front for number 32. Uh, with a young driver, uh, Nico Verone, behind the wheel at that point from Argentina. But he had uh, one more obstacle to clear, which was the number 77 Proton Competition Porsche 911 RSR 19, which had uh, none other than Giammarini Bruni behind the wheel at that point, uh, who very rapidly closed the gap. But um, sort of in contrast to the LMP3 finish, uh, this time Verone kept uh bruni at bay uh, it went it was a literal sprint down to the down to the flag of the final quarter with uh, just a tenth separating the two cars at the flag but it was the 32 car of pierre eret nicholas verone and memo gidley then 
are taking the win. So pretty feel-good story to see Memo uh, on top in uh, in the LMS in what well, his his, uh, his first race in the series for sure. First time at the track, first time in the series, lots of firsts and and getting it done in Paul Ricard. Well, anything else stand out to you over the course of the weekend? What was the general? What was your general thought on on the the start of the European Le Mans series season? Uh, it looks like it's going to be fantastic. There was uh, a lot of stuff going on, especially LMP2. Uh, it was frequently mentioned on commentary that I think this is the biggest uh, collection of, of the biggest grid of LMP2 cars anywhere in the world, and the uh, the quality of that grid is just so so high. Um, that you know, it is that Prima had such a clean run because there were probably five cars that realistically could have could have won that race. Um, and you know, some cars having a bit of bad luck. You know, like I said, United Autosports first uh, that slow stop and then a puncture as well, really putting that car out of the running. But I think I just just shortly before we started recording this was an Instagram post from Phil Hansen who was in that car who said we had the car to win this uh so I'm leaving this with a bit of a sour taste so yeah just superb quality in that grid so and I can't wait to see how the rest of that season is going to unfold if Bremo is going to have uh, I don't think they're going to have any uh, it as easy as they've uh, had here this this weekend of course not discounting their effort that, that they put in in only their second race in yeah next up for ELMS is the 4 hours of Imola on May 15th um talking about this weekend this past weekend though we also had action in Super GT in Okayama um the British GT Championship at Alton Park SRO America in Sonoma and more Check out sportscar365.com for all of the reports, um, largely from Daniel Lloyd's weekly racing roundup. Moving on to news of the week, um, Davey, I think the biggest story that broke um, in the sports car racing world was the shakedown for the brand new Ferrari 296 GT3. Andrea Bertolini and Alessandro Pierguidi had the honor of um, completing that, that car's initial rollout at Fiorano. Um, completing a two-day test and all signs point that the, the test went relatively well for this brand new Ferrari. It it would appear so, yeah. Uh, like I said, Piagrini Bertolini at the wheel at uh, Fiorano, the Ferrari test track. Uh, it's sort of interesting to see how that car's coming along, didn't we? It was uh, at at the Sebring, Super Sebring weekend, where Ferrari dropped the first sketches of what was looking like a very evocative racing car. Then I think last week or the week before, there was another new set of, of, of renders. And now we're seeing the the the, the real thing, uh, not quite yet in the flesh, but in, in some photographs from Fiorano in a red and black um, camouflage sort of paint scheme livery. I've seen some people compare it to, in terms of the way it looks with the low sort of a long, low line towards the rear of the car. I've seen people compare it to the Ferrari F50 GT1, mm-hmm. that car that never saw racing action. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. It's, it's, it looks great. Uh, V6, so that's kind of a change because the last car, last cars for that matter, pretty much dating very far back, uh, have all been V8s. So whole new world for Ferrari, especially considering that it's now being built by Orica. So yeah very excited to see where that goes next. Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow the car's development over the next few months because um, this is obviously a time of the year where new manufacturers unveil new cars and they begin their testing phases for next year. We've seen that with the the new Porsche that'll be running in 2023 as well. So um, exciting times for Ferrari um, as well. Moving on, we had confirmation from SRO Motorsports Group that seven manufacturers 
are going to be taking part in the Global GT World Challenge. And a bit of background on this, it's basically taking into account the results from the GT World Challenge events in Europe, Asia, Australia, and America. And it's all ranked based on the, the car you're you're driving for. It's all customer-based competition, but um, interesting to see that the same seven manufacturers are continuing on for 2022. Yeah, quite a list as well. Uh, I've got it here in front of me. I'll go uh, through them. It's uh, not necessarily in alphabetical order, but it's Audi, Mercedes, AMG, McLaren, Porsche, Lamborghini, Ferrari, and finally BMW, of course, with their new M4 GT3. Yeah, pretty pretty stacked uh, grid there. Um, we've we've seen the first rounds for that matter already. Um, of course, uh, the the endurance cup in Europe kicked off at Emola. Then, like you just mentioned earlier, we had the uh, uh, the GT World Challenge America at uh, at Sonoma last weekend. So, yeah, a pretty stacked field and some some very interesting cars in there. Yeah, Mercedes AMG has been the only manufacturer to have won in this global competition. Um, they're seeking their third straight title this year, but Audi um, led it heading into prior to this weekend. I'm, I'm sure it's changed a little bit with the results from GT World Challenge America. Um, Lamborghini taking a sweep of the weekend there with Capex Racing, but um, potentially, potentially means it could have changed. But it's hard It's hard to sort of follow this championship on paper because there's a, a, bit, a bit of complexities in terms of the way the points are scored. It's, um, it's a combination of the number of entries in each class multiplied by a, a points denominator. So um, sort of leave it to SRO to, to publish the results and, and see where the, the standings go throughout the year. But um, it's of note, it's exciting to see that there's um, this is back for another year. And also this will be the first time that four different championships are represented because GT World Challenge Asia will be returning after a three-year hiatus, a two-year hiatus. Um, due to the COVID pandemic in Asia. So um, great to see that championship getting going. That's scheduled to start at uh, Sepang, I believe, in, in mid-May. Uh, moving along, talking about another return from the pandemic, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park has officially been confirmed on the IMSA calendar for July 1st and 3rd. I think that's really no huge surprise by anybody following the IMSA calendar, but um, IMSA President John Doonan came out with a, a letter to competitors last week confirming that it will move ahead as scheduled. And um, it's come with a little bit of an asterisk to it because Canada currently requires all arriving passengers to be fully vaccinated. And that uh, the definition of being fully vaccinated is having two doses of a uh, two-dose uh, vaccination or, or a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson we know that there's some competitors in the IMSA paddock that are not vaccinated. We believe an overwhelming majority are, but um, this certainly could take some of the competitors out of competing at CTMP if they do elect not to get vaccinated between now and July. Um, we'll have to wait and see how all that develops. IMSA has uh, made a provision that they will still award um uh, they, they will not penalize teams for not going to CTMP basically in that they'll still be eligible for their year-end prize fund if they're a registered premium entrant into the WeatherTech Championship. 
um, or Pilot Challenge, I believe as well. They have a similar scheme there um, where you get a discounted full season entry if you're if you're committed for all the races. Um, so IMS has made a little bit of a provision there if there is a team that elects not to go. Um, haven't heard anything officially yet. Um, you know, personally from talking to people in the paddock, I, I know there's a handful at least, like I said, that are, are not vaccinated, but we'll have to wait and see what happens in the coming months. Um, finally, for the news of the week, we had news of Bart Hayden, former Rebellion Racing Team principal, joining Orica in a customer racing capacity. Um, Hayden was on site during last weekend's European Le Mans Series race at Paul Ricard um, in his new position. Great to see him back in the paddock. It's been a couple of years, actually, um, since he's been uh, in, the, in the sports car racing world after Rebellion Racing's um, uh, end of their program uh, following the 2019-2020 WEC season. Um, Hayden takes over the role that was vacated by Anthony Megavand, who was the former manager of customer sport for Rebellion, uh, for Orica, that is. So um, great to see Bart, uh, uh, again, involved in sports car racing. And I'm sure he'll be, he'll be a, a great uh, ambassador and a great role for that position within the French company. In brief, we had news that Porsche's Rensport reunion will be returning for a seventh edition in 2023, although the date and location of that event has yet to be announced. Lexus will become the title sponsor for the Mid-Ohio IMSA weekend, which will now be known as the Lexus Grand Prix of Mid-Ohio. And finally, we had news of another death of a stalwart in the American Lamas series paddock, unfortunately, with the the news that David Robertson passed away last week at the age of 66. A lot of people remember him for his um, for the being the team owner and driver of Robertson Racing, running the privateer four GTs in the ALMS, um, getting on the podium at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 2011 in GTEAM. An all around great guy, um, former pilot, uh, commercial pilot, along with his wife. Andrea. So um, really sad news there. Our condolences go out to his wife and, and the rest of the family at, at this very difficult time. All right, Davey, we have a couple more segments here on, on Double Stint this week. Listener questions, and we've got a lot of them this week. Um, I think I'll tackle most of them because I think they're more uh, more tuned to, to sports car racing in the U.S., but we have one from Eddie C. He asks, is IMSA planning to do anything about the Corvette BOP? He says this feels a bit like World Challenge and the Cadillac situation all over again, where a car that isn't homologated like the rest of the GT3 cars pulls the wool over the series eyes. That's what he says in his words, and clearly has a pace advantage, which he believes is killing the class. The mid-weekend BOP change at Sebring, he says, was disheartening to see as a diehard fan, and Long Beach was an easy and dominant win if they didn't get a drive-through. Well, Eddie, I I seem I I agree with you. Um, it does seem a bit strange to see what's been going on with the BOP and Corvette. Um, the the midweek BOP change at Sebring was a bit surprising, I'd have to say. And their performance at Long Beach was also surprising. Um, I know IMSA does have a lot on their shoulders to try to balance everything out. And, and this car is out of the box, per se, because it is a GTLM car. Um, it, it's outside the window. Maybe that's a better, a better phrasing to say. So they're probably still coming to grips with how to balance it properly and what the effects of weight and power and everything 
would have on a GTE spec car compared to GT3 because they are built to different regulations. Um, the Corvette is is running 50 kilos of additional weight. At least that's what the trim it was at Long Beach um, compared to its GTE specification. They actually have the weight in the passenger side box of the car. Um, they made a special ballast box um, that actually houses the weight because they can't even distribute it anywhere else on the car because it never was designed to be that heavy. So there's a lot to, that goes into it. And again, I'm not defending Corvette and I'm not defending IMSA. I'm sort of trying to speak neutrally here because there, there is, there is, a, there's a lot of different variables here and we sort of have to give, I think, IMSA the benefit of the doubt for at least the first few races to see where it'll be. Um, if there are no BOP changes from mid Ohio, I, I honestly would be surprised and I might be a little more outspoken then. Um, I do feel that it, the Corvette does need a bit of a, a slowdown right now based on its performance uh, from, from Long Beach. Um, as you mentioned, you know, they would have likely won the race had the, had they not gotten the drive-through for that um, crazy wheel nut situation, but um, we'll have to wait and see. I, I think that um, time will tell. And like I said, it's only three races into the season. We have to give IMSA the benefit of the doubt for now and um, see what happens at mid Ohio a, when there, if there will be a BOP change and B the ultimate outcome in the GTD pro class. Next question comes from Matt at sports car racing every day. He asks any reason why Porsche Carrera cup, North America has rolling starts instead of standing starts. Do you think they should do away with rolling starts or align the series with the rest of the Carrera cup rounds and use standing starts? It's my understanding. They use rolling starts because IMSA doesn't have the capabilities or the equipment on site to do standing starts. You have to have lighting, the lights, you have to have a lot of infrastructure. I remember going back to the early, the, the original days of world challenge where they had lights and everything for their standing starts. And that was very exciting, obviously, um, to have standing starts and GT racing back in those days. Um, I, I don't think that, um, that's a possibility for Carrera Cup North America. Um, there's also some other changes in that series, including um, a, a 40 minute races instead of 30 minute races. So there's, it's obviously not running to the exact rules and regulations that other Carrera Cups around the world run to, but I still think it, it, it has a great show. And we, as we saw in the opening two races, opening, opening four races in a season, both at Sebring and Long Beach, that still produces great racing. So um, my, my short answer is that I, I don't think it's possible just from an infrastructure standpoint, but um, yeah, it's something that we will formally ask Porsche maybe in the future to see if there is a formal explanation for that. Um, we've got another question from old trombone who asks about driver overheating. He says, why can't IMSA SRO ACO use driver temperature sensors and give compulsory driver change orders to, to, to cars that are not that they have a driver that, ex, that exceeds a limit set by independent doctors as a fan. He writes that I really don't think it's entertaining to watch drivers collapse in the pits. Also the cabin CO um, CO2 pressures are, percentages are easily monitored, but not regulated. Isn't that dangerous? Max Angelelli suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning at Daytona a, a few years ago. Um, I thought it was one way. I thought that was one too much for our sport by asking for our, of our driver heroes. Uh, you bring up some really good points, old trombone. I think, you know, we do have the capabilities of, of, having these kind of sensors in the cars. Um, I don't really know why they're not there, but maybe this is something that the sanctioning bodies can look at in, in the future. I know um, 
there is a minimum cockpit temperature, a maximum co cockpit temperature that's regulated in the WEC, for instance. Um, that's not regulated in IMSA. Typically, temperatures in, in IMSA reach a little higher, um, especially in the summer months, and that's hard to regulate. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. But um, really, thank you for the, the, the question, and, and maybe more awareness of this could help get the word out and and maybe we could see some changes in the future but for for the for the time being i don't really know why this isn't being done it from a safety perspective it, it should there should be a lot of measures taken in place to to handle things like this finally dr joey bananas asks a question using the hashtag ask doubleston on twitter he asks, um, thanks for the indie info from last week. Any ideas what tracks are most likely at risk to be replaced by Indy? He says that it seems like Mid-Ohio, Virginia International Raceway, or Lime Rock Park will be at the top of the list. Also, he welcomes back the podcast, loves and enjoys it, and he says, keep doing what we're doing. So, well, thanks for the great words, Joe, Dr. Joey Bananas. Really appreciate that. Um, as for what tracks seem to be at the risk of being replaced by Indy, I would probably agree with you that those three are probably the likely candidates. Um, I don't know the terms of length of their contracts. Um, we know that IMSA has rolling contracts between the different sanctions um, with, the, with the circuits. Um, they're not all on the same year per se, and they, they do that on purpose to make sure that there's no huge changes to calendars year to year. Um, I personally don't know the length of the contracts for Mid-Ohio, VIR, or Lime Rock but it would seem to make sense. The other thing we do have to think about is VIR and Lime Rock are both GT only races where Mid-Ohio has three of the five classes in action, um, including DPI. I would think that if we would run at Indianapolis again, it would likely include DPI as, as a top class. So that could point perhaps more towards Mid-Ohio. And, and from a regional standpoint, Mid-Ohio is pretty close to Indy. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I, I don't Again, this is pure speculation on my part. We don't know the length of the of the contract with Mid Ohio or any of the other tracks, but um, I would have to speculate that that could possibly be one that IMSA could be looking to replace in the future. We we don't know, but um, that is a, a possibility. Uh, thanks again for all the questions this week. To get your questions answered on next week's show, post them either in the latest episode post on SportsCar365 or use the hashtag like Dr. Joey Bananas did using hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. All right. Well, this weekend we got more racing in action, and it seems like series just keep keep on starting up and and continuing as we're getting into the as we're as we're into the spring and closing in into the early summer months almost um got adac gt masters opening this season at oshersleben we got nls3 which was due to be the actually this was supposed to this will be the second round of the season for nls because the nls uh two was postponed due to snow a few weeks back we also have 24-hour series um, running at spa so um, you'll be able to check out all of those details on sports card 365 over the course of the weekend we'll have a standalone report from nls action also 24-hour series gt masters will be in our weekly racing roundup that's all the time we have for this week's show if you enjoy what we're doing please leave a rating and review on apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice it really helps get the word out about our show um, thanks to davy for coming on and we'll talk to you next week take care and be safe